man. There's a beverage here, huh? Does anybody here know how many times I've had to watch Funny Lady? I'm gonna get that gun of mine, and I'm gonna change you from a rooster to a hen with one shot. Hello everyone, welcome to Who Shot You? I'm Yost Ifiwadiwe, and today we're joined by film reviews editor at The Wrap, Alonzo Duralde. Alonzo, what's good with you? Oh, Ify, it's been a while since I brought it up. I don't think you've had to hear me talk about this, but uh, there's a lot of Hallmark stuff happening, because it's Christmas <laughs> in July. So, not only are both, uh, this weekend, both regular Hallmark Channel and Movies and Mysteries Christmas 24-7, which I'm all about, uh, this Saturday, July 13th, is when the... Uh, keepsake ornaments arrive in the Hallmark stores, for those of you who are already thinking about decorating your tree, and come on, aren't we all? Uh, and then finally, uh, the Deck the Hallmark podcast, one of whom uh, has been on the show before, they are in the midst of their national tour. They've got a gig coming up in Brooklyn at the Bell House and here in Los Angeles at Dynasty Typewriter. You can get tickets at deckthehallmark.com. So yeah, I'm soaking in it. Hey, will you be at one of those? I might. Ooh. <laughs> Well, y'all know what my favorite Christmas movie is. Passion of the Christ. Passion of the Christ. <laughs> We're also joined by producer, Phil Festival programmer, Drea Clark. Drea, what's good with you? Okay, I have a, an actual what's good, but I do think it's important for the world at large to know that my true glory each week is watching Iffy and Alonzo hug when they greet each other because it's, it's the most alpha hug-off I've ever seen. Like, two men have never been more dedicated to being the stronger hugger ever. And it's a miracle People to see. People say I give good hugs you, and I keep, I'm like, I gotta give you that strength. You I've really all, do. I always get that too. So. They're both, you're both memorable, but watching those forces collide, like, <laughs> um, But what's good beyond that, because that will be good for me all the time is that will be an evergreen what's good NPR has this um, series called The American Anthem, and a month ago, Sam Sanders wrote about the song um, Robin's Dancing on My Own, and I stumbled upon it in the last week or so, and it's such a beautiful kind of writing. When people write about music, it's it's hit or miss. Like I don't think a lot of people write about music well, but one of the things that's so powerful about that song and re-listening to it is they're analyzing the sort of economy of language and I'm like, it's such a good pop song. And Mark Ronson refers to it as a sad banger because there's like a whole sub-theme and it truly is. like It's this beautiful sort of dance song and so after reading this article and then of course now I've just been listening to Dancing on My Own like on repeat but listening to the lyrics, it's the most beautifully painted scene, and it's a whole two. Like it's great. So that song, that article, I encourage you to like dig into them, like I did. I got a lot out of that. So American Anthem is not based on the Mitch Gaylord movie. Oh my God, no. Okay. <laughs> Just check. Only for you. <laughs> what was the woman? Who's uh, who's. Um... Wayne Gretzky's wife. What, is that, uh, I'm trying to remember her name too, and all I can come up with the twins. <laughs> oh, Janet, Janet Jones. Janet Jones. American yes. Anthem and Flamingo Kid. I think I was a kid and fell in love so she hard. Was, she yeah. was a yeah. stunning ingenue. And, and American Anthem, the only other movie directed by Purple Rain director uh, Albert Magnoli, who was Prince's manager. Apparently, that was his qualifications to direct Purple Rain. <laughs> <laughs> and lastly, our special guest, comedian, and host of the podcast, Views from the Vista, Steve Hernandez. How you doing? I'm What's good? 
with you? Oh, I'm great. Great, great to be here. You people are all you people. Oof. What do you mean, you people? But it's such a cornucopia of people that I can say it and get it away with it. It's like, who, what am I pointing out here? I, I'm doing great. My what's good is Kevin Bacon in City on the Hill. Is anybody watching this? No. no. It's so good. It's another TV show I'm not watching? Yes, he's a dirty cop, but he's kind of, he's an anti-hero. But Kevin Bacon is just strutting his stuff. Uh, last time we saw him was in I Love Dick, which he was great, an Amazon series. But he just is one of those actors that just keeps coming back around and you keep remembering how good he is. And you, you really can't put your finger on why either. But he's such a little weaselly dude and uh, I love him and the show's great. So make sure you watch that. That's on Showtime. And he's also a forever smoke show. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, Kevin oh, Bacon. Yeah. You I, did you wrong. watch I Love Dick? No, it, I didn't. It, and I feel a, like I was recommended to me by a very large amount of people. He, he is very, very sexy in that show. And uh, mm. it's about a woman being obsessed with a man sexually only. And he's the exact right guy for that. Yeah, because he is evergreen. Second, <laughs> second Here evergreen. We go. Yeah. Iffy, what's good? Oh, oh man, what's good with me? You know... I got to say, you know, we're going to talk about it definitely later today, but Marissa Tomei is what's good with me <laughs> and Mom James. I, I st- I've not stopped thinking about it since I saw it, and I was like, oh, yeah, this um, is... My friend, did you not change your Twitter account handle? <laughs> yes, to Marissa Tomei's Stan account. Yes. Uh, you know, I know this I is very that. off-brand for me. She wasn't goth in the movie, but I'm like, <laughs> whoo, boy, I can't stop thinking about it. She could I, show you the ropes. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, you know, she went to a fictional uh, historically black college so you know (laughs) she's woke Uh, you know I I grabbed my girlfriend by the arm and whispered loudly Marissa Tremaine mom jeans (laughs) just that I was like such mom jeans you didn't even know that this is something you wanted but once you saw it you knew you wanted it and that's that's the fit they had her in the whole movie like they knew they're like oh we got (laughs) y'all oh uh, that's all I can think about Uh, yeah the movie's great you're gonna hear us talk about it but beyond that uh, being in the same room as Beyonce for the uh, Lion King premiere. I can finally say that. So you can kill me when I walk out this booth. Uh, feel free. <laughs> Gladly. <laughs> <laughs> On today's show, we'll be discussing Spider-Man Far From Home. We will answer a call from the Who Shot line. And as always, we got some staff picks. But first, it's time for our new segment called Ididic. Short for, is this important? Uh, do I care? Each of us will read new segments and answer the question, is this important? Do I care? Uh, first up, we got one of my favorite movies of all time, The Big Lebowski. It is having a spinoff, and the spinoff got a new title and a release window. Three years ago, the production began on a Big Lebowski spinoff written and directed by John Turturro called Going Places. The film follows Turturro's character, the registered sex offender, and excellent bowler, Jesus Quintana. Or the Jesus, as he teams up with some other misfits on the run from a gun-toting hairdresser. Nothing happened with the film for a while, but thanks to <laughs> Screen Media, it's gotten a distribution deal and now a new title. Uh, the film will now be called The Jesus Rolls and will be released sometime in early 2020. Is this important? Do you care? Well, they figured out a much better title. Yeah, for that starters. original one, and the fact that it's been three years does not bode real well. Yeah. Well, I always love when people who did not create a movie yeah. decide they're going to step in and make a sequel. Like, look, I got to give it up to Rena Riffle, who played Penny in the original Showgirls, and when Paul Verhoeven was not like picking up his pace on making a sequel, she made her own. 
Showgirls 2, Pennies from Heaven, which is brilliant and bonkers. And is like, it like an unauthorized? Uh, I think she got an okay to do it. Like, it exists in the world and it has that title. So, you know. What, is she uh, going to bring down the sheen of yeah, Showgirls? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, heaven forbid. So, yeah. So, like, I love, like, eh, who needs the Coen brothers? I'll just do my own. Yeah, see, that's the scary part for me. As me, as a, like, light Coen brothers stan, even though I think Lady Killers scared them away from black people. Uh, <laughs> I, like... It, like the Cohen, the Cohen brothers have like a specific style that I'm like, if Jesus is plucked out of that style, like, is this gonna still be good? Like, that's the they, that's they the, follow they hew to a very strict, absurd line, yeah. and not if someone can't navigate that, it could be. And someone who names this project "Going Places" <laughs> worries me. But, but okay, I'm sorry, but can I say with this particular character, and it's such a minor character, I think that they can create something new, yeah, uh, mm-hmm. and something because I mean, who, in a way, who cares? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, you know what I mean? In a way, who cares? But John Hamm's in there. Yeah, uh, it, it could be a real madcap fun ride. It could, yeah. Uh, as long as, yeah, I mean, you you can't do the Coen Brothers tone. Nobody's yeah. gonna yeah. match that. So this could be like the Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead of the Big Lebowski. I think so. Nice. I think we got a shot okay. at something good. All right, so John Turturro. Yeah. It's John Turturro. No, it's John Turturro, and he's he's directed before as well. He's not like a total newbie. Um, yes, I would love for this to prove any of my worry oh, yeah. wrong. How's as that? long as like sex offender isn't played for laughs, yeah, you know, that, that'd be nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, hopefully, our man's is falsely accused. Uh, is this important? Um, maybe. Do I care? Yes, because I'm a Lebowski stan. Yeah. <laughs> You're enough. like a child who wandered into the middle of a movie. <laughs> <laughs> Look, we can, oh, we can start forever. quoting through the for, whole. No, episode. it is a problem. Yeah. Still, never seen the Big Lebowski. <gasps> is that true? Because I would want to see it projected, but I wouldn't want to see it projected surrounded by people who've seen it a million no, times. Yeah, you yeah. yeah. would. It'd be like if that. you'd never seen Monty Python oh. and the Holy Grail before. So you will have to see it at one of those outdoor ones where you listen through headphones, <laughs> so you can't yeah. hear anyone around you. Um, well, something that probably won't inspire the same sort of nostalgic uh, reminiscence is a. Netflix story. There's a new report from the information that Netflix is apparently cutting down on its massive spending on original TV and movies. According to the publication, Netflix content chief Ted Sarandos told several of his TV and film execs that the company was going to stop spending all of these sums of cash, well, he said spending vast sums of cash, on big budget projects unless there's a guaranteed return on that investment, which is nonsense yeah, that's what for I was any investment. No such thing. Right. But the reports specifically cited the movie Triple Frontier, <laughs> which I've enjoyed mocking for a year now, which starred Ben Affleck and Oscar Isaac. It cost $115 U.S. million, was a major flop on the streaming service. Is this important? Do you care? It's important in that Netflix has to sort of figure out what it's going to be now that everybody else's content is going to mm-hmm. be streamed by everybody else. Right. You know, Friends is being taken away from them. Oh my God. <laughs> you know, which like, could we all calm down? <laughs> but like, yeah, all the Disney stuff is going to Disney Plus. All the Warner stuff is going to Warner. All the, the, the. And so they have to figure out what business they're in and what their model is. And lately, for the last couple of years, it's been like spend crazy amounts of money, you know, like shoot for all the quadrants, aim for all the demos. Um, but at some point, like, that pendulum has to swing back and they have to sort of figure out how to be profitable, how to make their own stuff. And, you know, I mean, yeah, if they're not going to spend $115 million on, 
you know, a movie like Triple Frontier, I, I think that's not yeah. a, not a bad idea. But you know, I, I think they just had to figure out to, how to do what they do more cheaply. I think it would be interesting. I know that they also announced this hundred and thirty million dollar budget action film, which seems like uh, the opposite of what they're saying. Of we're yeah. not going to take those on. <laughs> what I think would be interesting is if. Netflix got in the business of doing the mid-budget thriller and adult story that's not being told anymore. Like, they've already taken up the rom-com mantle to great success, which studios had dropped. Right. If they got into the world of doing, like, the $40 million, $50 million adult thriller, that sounds... Erotic. I mean, do an erotic when I don't it. care. Yeah, yeah. No, like, no, no, but I know what you yeah. mean. Like the, 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 the adult drama that Hollywood yes. doesn't do anymore. And they did announce today that David Fincher is going to be making, uh, Gary Oldman is going to play Herman Mankiewicz, who wrote Citizen Kane, oh in a film by David Fincher, all of which I find fascinating, although I, I'd like to know what Herman's uh, grandson, Ben Mankiewicz, thinks about this. But anyway, um, I, you know, you're right, because that is a niche that studios certainly aren't filling right now. And with Disney buying Fox and closing Fox 2000, there's even less of that stuff. So mm-hmm. It just feels like Netflix is going to have to get taste from somewhere, right? <laughs> I mean, I'm so surprised. And with I'm all available. Yeah, I mean, truly, in each of the genres, I don't know why they don't have some kind of artistic director. It would, it would make the most sense mm-hmm. if they're spending all that money. But up until now, they've just been spending... Do you remember that show... This was in the the news at the time, but they came out with Al- Altered Carbon. Oh, yeah. Yes. You remember that big science fiction show? And they mm-hmm. spent millions and millions and millions. I don't want to say hundreds of millions, but it was close to $100 million. And then they premiered that Cloverfield movie two days after it came out. Oh, right. Uh, just shadowing, uh, <laughs> overshadowing it completely. And that was a very bad movie, too, by the way. But uh, they've just been throwing money away. Someone there needs to get some taste and hopefully they use this as an excuse for that. I think part of it is that their head of things calls it content. I think Ugh. when you're looking at programming or what you're doing for exhibition and distribution and you just think of it as content, it kind of says where your head is. Yeah. I mean, it's it's also kind of hard in the sense of they still have to figure out this logical problem of how to make Netflix make money. <laughs> like, you yes. know, like because they're on a current model that's just based on subscriptions and the user base, I feel like, has probably plateaued, which is why they're like, well, f- you know, that's, scrambling. Yeah. I don't think and, and, you know, I don't think anybody who is interesting like interested in like a new property is going to go out and buy it we're in the age of like let me go ahead and uh, use that password fan all right well uh you know i feel like we're it's time for us to go ahead and take a break but when we come back we'll be talking about spider-man far from home just as soon as we hear from another one of the shows on maximum fun Have you ever watched a movie so bad you just needed to talk to somebody about it? Well, here at the Flop House, we watch a bad movie and then talk about it. Yeah, you don't have to do anything. We'll watch it and we'll talk it. We do the hard work. Featuring the beautiful vocal talents of Dan McCoy. Stuart Wellington. And me, America's Rascal, Elliot Kalin. New episodes every other Saturday at MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcast, dude. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Welcome back to Who Shot Ya? I'm your host, Ifi Wadiwe, and in the studio with me are... 
Drea Clark. Steve Hernandez. Alonzo Duraldi. All right. And today we're talking about Spider-Man Far From Home. Here's the storyline that was written on IMDb by someone named Parashat Singh. <laughs> Peter Parker's world has changed a lot since the events in Avengers Endgame 2019. And with everyone asking who's going to be the next Iron Man, he can't help but think about his father figure and mentor, Tony Stark. In the meanwhile, ignoring Nick Fury's calls, he goes on an adventure to Europe with his schoolmates and plans to propose to MJ. Okay. All right. Prahas. I'm going to correct that. He's not not, even prom posing. Come on. Uh, He just wanted to ask ask her to be the girlfriend. Everything turns upside down with the arrival of of creatures called the Elementos and Mysterio, the one man who can stop them. Peter meets Fury and partners with Mysterio to take down the creatures before they can harm anyone else. But is Peter really prepared to step up and put the world before himself? Okay. I give that a B. Yeah, 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 yeah. I give bad. that a B. Yeah, that proposed thing was yeah. a uh, There was a fundamental misunderstanding <laughs> yeah. of a character, but yeah. solidly written. Well done, Prashant. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, you know, this. you're going to find this out that any one of these superhero movies done by Marvel is going to be a two thumbs up for me. Uh, <laughs> you can't, you don't look at it critically at all? I, I mean, I look at it critically, but there, there's, there's shit that they put in there for me that blinds me from any... <laughs> for, or like, they've, they've yeah. yet to let you down. Y- yeah, I mean, you they know, could. there are some where it's like, ooh, that took a dip, but like I said, they <laughs> sprinkled, like, the comic stuff, like... Just the way that they they gave Mysterio the fishbowl, which all of us dumb nerds were yelling about online. It's like he has to have the fishbowl, or else him. And then like they, uh, the technology they used to kind of justify his illusions was really cool. Uh, you know, there there's little sprinkles. You got we finally got MJ standing up. I mean, we finally got Peter Parker standing up MJ to go be Spider Man, which is like a classic Spider Man trope that we have yet to see in this run of Spider Man. So he's like, I know we're gonna see. Uh, like the fact that it's like in an opera is so uh, so like all of that uh, was great i mean like yeah i i it was great yeah for me i have no qualms i, I want to ask drea yes. non, non-comics person right yes. did Mostly. you did you have any idea that mysterio was going to be a villain oh i did point. not know that from the marketing or from general sort of osmosis but uh, as a moviegoer um the minute he's introduced and I was like, oh, that's interesting. They're introducing a new Avenger. This is what a fun sideways way to approach this. And I like it because the Spider-Man franchise is sort of on the side. Yeah. It's the lighter kid friendly stuff. The But because I know movie language, the minute that the final quote, final battle happens and I'm like, oh, we're firmly in act two right now. <laughs> and the second that happened, I was like, yeah, that guy's the bad guy. Yeah. Huh? So I didn't know going into it, but it became apparent pretty quickly. But they also played it nicely because I still think, and I don't know how he's written, but I liked Mysterio's ability to take on like fatherly moments with Peter. Yeah. And I felt he did have, a, as much as he became <laughs> insane or egomaniacal himself, he did seem to have a genuine fondness for Peter. So there, there was a nice blurring of lines because it does get exhausting when it's yeah. just like, oh, I'm Thanos, I'm de- I am death. And yeah. so <laughs> there was, oh, okay, this is a human bad guy and therefore his flaws are more human based. Yeah. Uh, did you like this movie? I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just I only asked about the mystery thing because if you if you know the comics at all, you know, he's been part of the sort of rogues gallery of this title for mm. 50 whatever years. But 
in the marketing of it, they've been very like, oh no, he's Mysterio yeah. and he's a new hero. And wink, you know, and so I just kind of wondered like for people who wandered in not not carrying the character, the history of the character with them, you know, what that reveal was like. Because I'm like, well, okay, you're, yeah, you're, yeah. you're Mysterio. <laughs> this is going to go yeah. sideways at any moment. You know? <laughs> uh, I, I had a great time. But I, I think I'm somewhere in B. I'm close to what you are. I had a great time watching it. But then we reviewed it on Views uh, this week, too. And then you just come around to, okay, that was a great time. I had a great yeah. time. But as someone who who likes movies, and you start to take take it apart. And they did a lot of things that I don't really understand or agree with, but it, it was a great time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, I mean, the Mysterio stuff was awesome, um, but there's a lot of, like, I guess there's a lot of ethical things that I started thinking about with this movie. I know that sounds so stupid. <laughs> no, no, uh, no. But I also don't, uh, I there's zero sexual chemistry between Peter and uh, Zendaya. Lies. Uh, oh, I, I, disagree. I disagree. That I, kiss was bad. I uh, was that absolutely, a kiss? She's got big Daria energy. I love her so much. I love how she plays Zendaya. Or how she plays Zendaya. <laughs> I love how she plays MJ, but I also was honestly like, oh! Like when they almost held hands, every time it was the then the glances back and forth, and I think you may be right in terms of them not having sexual chemistry because I did like that it was played like less horny teens and more of that sort of oh I have like this girl like any guy that takes three different countries so he can tell a girl he likes her <laughs> is not going to be giving me I, big I mean, horn th- dog that's, vibes. Well, these are the differences between the Spider Mans then because if you think about this kiss compared to the infamous Tobey Maguire uh, Kristen. Dunst kiss, which yeah. is, I mean, that's like move. There was so much steam behind yeah. that. So they're obviously going for different things. But I mean, this kid's. I remember what it was like to be a sixteen-year-old boy, and it's not. Oh, I'm just barely holding hands below me. <laughs> I, I want <laughs> he. Want I, want, I want he. He was in limbo for five years. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. Oh man. I what one of the things that I liked about this was I and I really enjoyed this. A when I saw it at the ArcLight, um, and we were watching this movie when the second earthquake. Hit, which was oh, the bigger wow. one, and you felt it. Oh, big time! The entire complex swayed for like a Ooh. minute, and so we're sitting there. Half the theater got up and left, and I'm like, I'm not moving. Like you cinerama. all know, stay in place. Like that's how earthquakes move, and they eventually. They did stop the film and evacuate. My my friend Tom was in another movie that night. Like, yeah. Posted oh it on no, Facebook it was like small town outside. L.A. I knew everyone that was out in the corner. <laughs> but what was interesting? Normally, it's not like you take a pause when you're watching these, and up till that point, it was is. I, it was noticeable that when we came back in, it was soon after that, that there was the reveal and the like cackling. And then also what came, the reveal also included this technological achievement yeah. and everything cranked up for me from that point on. And I was so enjoying that because one of the things I had wondered, I loved Into the Spider-Verse so, or Spider-Man Into the, you know what I'm yes. saying, Into the Spider-Verse yeah. so much. And it was so visually creative and inventive. And I didn't know how this could follow that. And the fact that it did and yeah. had the same sort of lack, of, like playing with reality. And there were some sequences in this that I found stupendous. Like, oh, yeah. They were I love so the exciting. full, like, you know, illusion motion when he uh, gets the the information he needs and just that. And there were little nods for comic fans like yes. the, the, Marvel, <laughs> awesome. the Marvel zombies. I was like, ah! Yeah, Wait, that's a thing. I thought that was amazing. Yeah, yeah, that's a. There was a whole series called Marvel Zombies where the whole Marvel universe got turned into zombies. All right, I won't uh, give John Watts credit for that one. <laughs> <laughs> My thing with the whole the big finale, 
you know, I, I enjoyed this film. I thought it was yeah. terrific. I had a great time. Maybe not as good as Homecoming. Uh, and you're right. I think as we, I was saying somebody like the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man is more interesting than the globe-trotting, yeah. you know, European Ooh, vacation Spider-Man. Spider-Man. Europe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I have to say, at some point during the big Act Three battle, I had this feeling of, like. Could we maybe not have one of these movies every fucking month? You know, <laughs> and it's not this movie's fault. Like, if this were the one superhero movie I'd seen this year, I'd yeah. be all in. But on the heels of Captain Marvel and Endgame and Shazam in yeah. like quick succession, you know, they all wind up with the big Act Three CG yeah. heavy kabloomery and it's just like uh, and so I'm delighted that like we're not getting another Marvel movie yeah. for a year I know. you know they're about to announce at Comic Con but it's like it's like summer 2020 apparently the earliest yeah so uh, we've inter- earned it we've earned I'm a break I'm interested to ask you guys uh, as film people do you even consider these like films because <gasps> we've had that discussion I know, I know it's a discussion <laughs> people have but it just feels so episodic and I mean I like it and I think it's amazing that they could this was the breather we needed after Endgame but I'm also like are these even movies anymore <laughs> when you think oh that's very smart that they use that as a breather the April Wolf argument of it is that they're not, that it is become so much more episodic than it is standalone movies. I do think there's an interesting hybrid of them. And I actually do think that you can critically assess them individually because I think the different franchises have such different tones. Like to me, and looking big picture, which ones they're plugging in at which times, like if they had put in a Captain America film now, which again for Endgame is like an if an iffy thing, they would have had to <laughs> move time and space around, but they could. If they'd done a follow-up to Endgame with Captain America, which is the more adult, which is the darker, which has all of those out of all of them, it would have been a total different take. So them using Spider-Man is this conduit. So I, I do think, which makes it almost more like an anthology than an episodic. Yeah, because you can pull sense. movies like Black Panther and Captain Marvel and not know the other movies yeah. and yeah. take them on their own you know, bearing. And then you have other ones that are much more, I mean... Avengers Endgame is like this masterpiece of directing traffic, yeah. you know, and and it, and it is essentially a, it's a season finale, you know, it, yeah. it, it is a, you know, it it is wrapping up all these storylines and maybe doing a little bit of setup, but for the most part, just like kind of, it's that thing of like if they cancel us now, we can stop right yeah. here and we're good, you know, and so Endgame almost becomes that thing of, on shows that know they have another season coming. One thing I've noticed is that the next to last episode of the season is where a lot of the plot stuff gets resolved and then the final episode of the season is more about character stuff and whatever kind of cliffhanger there is Mm -hmm. is about relationships as opposed to plot. Mm. Yeah, and this one had, I'm not going to say what it is because it was the cliffhanger on this because, you know, they always have the mid-credits and then the post-credits. It gave me the same um, queasiness as when shit started to get real in Harry Potter and Voldemort was like, and between books, I was genuinely nervous for people. (laughs) Oh, this doesn't look good. And the end of this, so it does, it's setting itself up for... I like that both of these Spider-Man movies end with the phrase, what the fuck? Yeah. (laughs) 
Which I love. I didn't notice that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which I love, too, because the whole time I'm watching this movie, too, I'm thinking, who gives a crap about your teenage life, kid? It's over. Yeah. Like, you're one of the last uh, Avengers or super. So who? Ca- what are you trying to hold on to? Are you going to go to university? Get out of here. You're, <laughs> you're in superhero trade school now, bro. Except for they did. I liked that they brought in. There's this great line from Mysterio of don't ever apologize for being the smartest person in the room. And I liked that reminder that Peter, separate from his radioactive powers, yeah. was a really sharp, intelligent kid and like a scholarly little student. And I I liked bringing it back to that because a how it aligns him with Tony and yeah. puts a similarity there. But also that is something that makes him more interesting as if you separate him from the Avengers and from like what he's doing with the world, he's someone who ostensibly could be bringing inventions or things to the world yeah. that have nothing to do with his powers. And, and these movies, I think, have also given us a much less angsty, haunted, yeah. yes. neurotic, troubled Peter Parker than pretty much almost any other iter- iteration. I mean, in the comics for so long, it was like, oh my God, I got to make money because my yeah. Uncle Ben died and it was all my fault. And if Aunt May finds out that I'm Spider-Man, she's going to have a heart attack because she's so old and frail. And uh, people are treating me like shit and they're bullying me, but I can't say anything because of the Spider-Man. <laughs> and and that like, Tom Holland is so like just regular level dorky kid with powers, you know. But this I, isn't, I, I, this I like isn't Spider-Man anymore. I mean, there's no bullying aspect, and there's absolutely no with great power comes great, great responsibility. Well, yeah, there's, 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 yeah. there's that hot Flash kid Thompson. that was... Flash Thompson, nobody even likes him. Yeah, yeah. Okay, but, but the other but, kid, no, no, the, no, the, the, the hot Asian yeah, kid. Yeah. The, the hot Asian kid that has a crush on MJ. At no point did he feel feel threatened by any way the way he felt threatened no. by Flash Thompson. He tried to have him killed! Yeah. <laughs> no, no, but I'm saying that's what I like, that they're not you like doing... like that, though. I like that they're not... Because we've seen that version yeah. so yes, many times. Right. It's like, you know what? Show me a Batman where... His parents don't die. Yeah, what would well, that look that's like? A good point. What's good you know? is like I, I, I uh, American will Psycho. Go against that, yeah. this is the closest to Peter Parker I think we've seen ever. Because I've, the the problem this first, because Peter Parker, as its core, I think for a majority of Spider fans, have been. Peter Parker in high school. All the Peter Parkers we've mm. had before this has been adult Peter Parker, and they've kind of been trying to introduce things that have been established in his earlier life, in his later life, and that's where a lot of the Spider-Mans ended up tripping up. It would start off good with a good base, which is like the introduction of great power responsibility, and then we try and rush to Venom somehow, and then it just goofs, because there's a lot of cool stuff that happens to Spider-Man, but it's all because it's built on the importance of it. The main thing is you can't cannot have Venom without giving us black suit Spider-Man because the purpose of that is Spider-Man gets black suit Spider-Man and he's like, oh, I get to be this confident, cool version of myself Night that monkey? I never get to be. Yeah. Uh, no, black suit Spider-Man is no, when he's Spider-Man, Spider-Man 3 was yeah. black yeah. suit Spider-Man. No, no, Spider-Man. I know. But like, yeah. And that the best weird, Spider-Man. Yeah, they had that weird, <laughs> that, yeah, you, you kind of, they kind of tried to give us a taste of it in 3. I almost forgot where you had that weird Tobey Maguire. Oh, the stress down his jazz, jazz number. Yeah. I loved it. Which is like, Lord. you know, it, like, <laughs> It would be fun to see like what Tom Holland would be if like he was confident and he's like, you know, to borrow from Spider-Verse if he was like the what's up, you know, like that because we've seen it long enough. But that was weird uh, on Spider-Man 3. <laughs> um, but, you know, we've already got like Doctor Strange and Tony Stark and all these like yeah. cool cock walk guys. Yeah. So like, yeah, let him be a bit of a dork. Yeah. Well, and the, the fun thing is, is he eventually learns that like. All those cock walkers. That, that, <laughs> you know what I mean. I knew. 
cock of the walk. You know, know what I mean? No, I like it. Big we, swinging dicks. That's yeah, what I'm trying to say. I'm just a bit. I, we have cock walkers. Now. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna start saying that all the time. Yeah. Oh man. Uh, Are you a cock blocker or a cock walker? <laughs> Decide. So the Tom Holland of it, because I find him adorable, yeah. and I definitely think his performance imbues so much of the goodness that's yeah. coming out of Peter Parker right now. Exactly. I do think he's talented enough that he could take on if they put in one of these twists, if oh, it's yeah. the Venom or whatever. But I also think he's made Peter very much his own. Yeah. And all, I was watching and I'm like, how old is that sweet child? Like, he's going to be 18 for the rest of his life, right? <laughs> yeah. Until he's like Michael J. Fox and then he's like just old. Well, like, now, yeah, it's like DiCaprio. You hit that switch, you know, because like, I remember in the Aviator thing, oh, oh, the guy who was going to play Howard Hughes got sick so they brought in somebody from the local high school drama department. <laughs> Such a baby. But the the idea of to me, I've seen three Tom Holland movies now. No. Well, plus like Civil War or yeah. whatever. It's so like five. He's four movies into his six movie deal. PS. But Oh wow. Um I've seen him as Spider-Man for enough time like that's who I think of, but We've had a pretty, like you mentioned, Tobey Maguire, and then we went to Alex Garfield. Andrew Garfield. Andrew Garfield. Like I keep saying Alex. Andrew Garfield. And it's only been like, what, 15, 20 years? Yeah. Like between <laughs> having those? Who, who do you, when you guys think of Spider Man, who do you think of? Tom Holland. Oh, Tom Holland. Tom yeah. Holland. Okay. He's, he's the yeah. best. He And for the same reason. You think reason, he's better than them, too. He's okay. the best because he, he's a kid. Yeah. yeah. I Agreed. mean, that, that's Agreed. the whole time from Homecoming. Everything is like, oh, this poor kid can really get hurt. And yeah. that's that's something we've I've never felt from the yeah. other Spider Man. Yeah, that's a really good point. Especially like Tobey Maguire was a forty year old accountant at birth, so, uh, <laughs> like, just coming off Cider House yeah. rules. So when you were talking about his sexy kiss, I'm like, yeah, he frequents like strip clubs. <laughs> I'm sure. I so I want a Spider Ham movie with, voiced by John Mulaney. Oh, oh man, yeah, I would watch that. I, I would, would watch love that. It. So I guess it's time for us to go to our final review of Spider Man Far From Home. Would you screen it, stream it, or skip it? I would screen it. Yeah. Preferably not during an earthquake. <laughs> a, because it was terrifying and I actually got motion sickness. Oh, no. Um, but B, because, you know, movies just play better if you watch them all at once. But yes, I I found this really enjoyable. It wasn't as deep um, or scary as some of the others, but sometimes that's wonderful. And I really like the effects. And I think they're all just lovely, lovely kids. I wish the best for them. <laughs> I really do. <laughs> I'd absolutely screen it. Uh, these movies, I will tell you one thing about Marvel movies is they give you such a sense of like childhood going to the movies. Got I it. saw this on opening night of Tuesday at the IMAX at Universal City, and it was jam-packed to the gills. Uh, all generations, multiracial, everyone's just having a blast. Uh, and I love it. The the best, I saw Endgame at the Vista, and it's the hands-down best movie-watching experience of my life. Oh, so, I, I mean, just hands-down, I've never experienced anything like it. These movies are great to see in the theater. I mean, who really cares to watch them at home? Yeah. Although you just watch them again for fun. Yeah, <laughs> They run on TBS nonstop. <laughs> <laughs> and FX. Yeah, no, totally screen it um, for all the reasons mentioned. And, and uh, yeah, I think that, you know, people have tried to cop this formula, you know, your dark universes and your, your you know, the DC efforts. But, like, these guys really know what they're doing in terms of even though, yeah, the movies from MCU film to MCU film aren't all identical and they have different, you know, tones or, or focuses, they still manage to create this sense of a shared 
the thing you get from TV. Like, the, let's check in on these guys yeah. and see what they're up to. So check in. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just to go on that whole people trying to cop to this, there's only been one movie series that has been able to have a cohesive universe as cohesive as Marvel, and for some reason it's The Conjuring. <laughs> like, they, <laughs> they, they have a real struggle. Like every time I see part of The Conjuring universe, I'm like... Yeah, <laughs> they're <laughs> solid. People are still interested in that creepy doll, Annabelle. Like, and then you're like, get that done out of here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They, like, people are in it. And I'm like, all right, horror fans, y'all got this one. Uh, for me, uh, you, you already knew from the moment you heard my you know, opening <laughs> statement on this. You, go ahead and screen that. And, you know, bonus points if you're wearing a Spider-Man t-shirt, you know, or something. See y'all at Comic-Con. <laughs> All right, so we'll be right back and uh, we'll get into some more fun after we hear from another show from Maximum Fun. If you're looking for a new comedy podcast, why not try the Beef and Dairy Network? It won Best Comedy at the British Podcast Awards in 2017 and 2018. Also, I there were no horses in this country until the, the mid to late 60s. Specialist bovine arse vet. Both of his eyes are squid's eyes. Yogurt Buffet. She was married to a bacon farmer who saved her life. Farm-raised snow leopard. <laughs> Download it today. That's the Beef and Dairy Network podcast from MaximumFun.org. Also, maybe start at episode one or, weirdly, episode 36, which for some reason requires no knowledge of the rest of the show. Welcome back to Who Shot You? I'm your host, Ify Wadiway, and in the studio with me are... Alonzo Duraldi. Steve Hernandez. Drea Clark. And now it's time to answer a call from the Who Shot Line. Who Shot Line? It's the Shot Line. Who Shot Line? Casey, play the call. Hey, guys. Uh, I have a question. Uh, with the release of Danny Boyle's Yesterday, opening to very mixed reviews, uh, what Academy Award-winning filmmakers would you say have lost his or hers praise over the years. An example I always go to is Robert Zemeckis. Can't wait to hear your thoughts. Bye. Whew, boy, howdy. Yeah. There's a lot. There's one. <laughs> the first, Robert Zemeckis is a good, the first one that came to mind for me is Ron Howard. I remember, and like, if you look back at, and, and I say that he's he's had Academy level films he also made really great popular films yeah. for a long time like cocoon splash <laughs> like um far and away i enjoy apollo 13 like he made so many movies in such an amount of time and like was such an established figure and then i look at basically once you hit like rush i was gonna say and, he, i'll give him rush <laughs> But, but then, uh, yeah. Like, the dilemma, actually, it's the dilemma. When he, ma he <laughs> made was, a comedy with um, Vince Vaughn and Kevin, what's it? Uh, James. Kevin James. That's a movie? It, oh, yeah. It is a comedy about, like, one and of their- And Winona Ryder and Channing Tatum. It's like, terrible. Like, one of their wives cheated, and do they tell- Like, it's the dumb, and it's rotten. For me- Oh, I've seen that movie. It, like, it's took bad. a turn. Yeah. yeah. And, um, so yeah, Ron Howard. I, you know, I not an Oscar-winning director, but probably a nominee, and also like Ron Howard, a former, like originally known as a TV actor and then became a director. Rob Reiner. Oh bless, yes. He was out of the gate so strong. His first several films, it's like it's like this is Spinal Tap, followed by The Sure Thing, followed by um, Stand, Stand by, by Me, me. Yeah. and then like When Harry Met Sally and The Princess Bride. Magic. And then. 
oh my gosh, <laughs> such a string of duds, like Ghosts of Mississippi and um, like just like movies you never even saw. It, 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 and it, like the American president is sort of the one kind of like outlier in that it's good, but he's made some terrible films. He's a great activist and I appreciate his work in the political field, but boy, his movies got terrible. Um, uh, Terrence Malick, I think, would be Ooh, in that because if he's you. someone else looking like on the Oscar, like Badlands was a very formative film for me. I remember being like, oh, there's a tone to it. There's a loneliness. There's a sense of the country that was fascinating. I remember watching it in college and just being like amazed by it. And then the Thin Red Line, there's things that he's done that are so artful. And then he hit like to the wonder mm-hmm. night of cups night in cups night of cups and then and the, song, mu- the music one the song, music festival one. song of song whatever like he's done these that i'm like i i don't even you're coasting you're coasting on well, any talent you've ever had again like he was a guy who used to have to wait like 20 years from to make a new movie and then he did like four in a row it was like whoa whoa whoa, whoa. <laughs> yeah. we're still processing the last one you know but i think whenever you hear that terrence malick is making something you're still excited about it right, right? because like Tree of Life was something that, yes, not for everybody, but was still engaging or button pushing in an interesting way. And I feel like that was the sort of end. That's of the it. last one. Like, yeah, yeah. I'm Ang Lee's been on kind of a weird tear. I love him though. <laughs> like, no, I, I mean, like Brokeback Mountain was great. I'll even defend Lust Caution, which is not a perfect film, but I like has one of the great. Like, sorry, Crazy Rich Asians has my my favorite mahjong sequence I think that I've ever seen in a movie. But like taking but the, Woodstock, he did the ice storm. Like, yeah, that I was before. Loved, true, true, true. Uh, oh, you're saying these are in the good days, gotcha. Yes, but like, but taking Woodstock, Life of Pi, and. Billy Lynn's long halftime. I don't walk. believe that film actually happened. Oh my god! I, I don't yeah, know I, anyone I, who's seen it. I, I saw it during its one week at the Dome in the 120 frames per second or whatever. What did that look like? Shit! <laughs> it made it look like you were watching B-roll behind-the-scenes footage on a Blu-ray. It was so crisp and just right there that it was. It just. It all looked terrible. It looked like you were just looking through a window and. Dave walked out because it just it was too. But the yeah. difference and, is, and, and the guy at the concession stand said that there had been at least one walkout at every show because people. Just I believe that. Take but Ang Lee still he makes such swings. Like every one of his films is so distinct oh, yeah. from He's the not one before it in for sure. that I'd still rather someone like him trying to do the Hulk and do it seriously, like committed to a comic book visual yeah. pattern and. The things that he takes on and fails, I still find a lot of them more interesting than something like To the Wonder. Sure. Well, he's got the young Will Smith versus old Will Smith movie coming out. Oh, yeah. That I'm really excited about. Don't let me doubt, man. I think my guess, I I don't think they have enough movies in. I don't think they're Academy at all. But uh, uh, I hope you say Wayne Brothers right now. (laughs) uh, Nicholas Winding Refn. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, sure. I mean, and I'm a guy who really loved Only God Forgives. Like, I stand. Really? I was like, I fuck with this. This is my shit. Wow, you're fired. But it was uh, Neon Demon where I was like, all right. You know when you're like (laughs) trying out new kinks and you're like, all right, this is uh, this one. (laughs) Uncle. Not for me. (laughs) What is the safe word? I'm out. Did you watch his Amazon show? Uh, Which one was that? I, um, <laughs> I forgot he even did that. Yeah. Show. Okay. I don't know. I'll, I'll, I'll look for it. Steve, right. do you have any uh, any directors that have disappointed you? 
What's the name of the guy who made uh, Donnie Darko? Is it David Kelly? Richard, oh, Richard Kelly. Kelly. Richard Kelly. Uh, yeah, I mean, he just came and went. But did you see what was the next movie? Southland I, Tales. I thought it was. Uh, I thought it was ambitious. Yeah. Like I did not dislike it. It was bad. But has he made anything? No, else? Was... He made the box, which I liked, and everybody hates. You liked the box. I You're probably the box. quoted on the DVD of the box. Uh, <laughs> I don't know that I reviewed it, but it is in my Christmas book. I recently <laughs> reviewed it for something, and it Donnie Darko is just. Such a perfect movie in so many ways, and it's just so interesting to me that somebody that can nail it so hard. I mean, it's just like a, I guess a, a true one hit wonder when they just had this vision and nailed it, and then it just kind of falls well, there apart. Is, there is a vocal cult for Southland Tales. Like mm-hmm. they just had a screening in L.A. of the original can edit, which was, was apparently say that, longer than the theatrical yeah. cut. And weirdly enough, a lot of people have talked about it as a movie that sort of foresaw the rise of Trump. Huh. Ooh. So I kind of feel like that makes me want to see it again more yeah. than my recollection oh, of seeing it the a first lot, time. Richard Kelly. <laughs> makes me want to see it again. But I will go to bat for the box. It's bananas, but I uh, I, I think I it's I know it's about it. I haven't seen it, but uh, I like I said, I think Southland Tales, he was taking a big swing. Donnie Darko's perfect. Is he working still? Do we know if he's doing something else? I don't know. He's on Twitter. We should ask him. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Casey, tweet at it using the show's uh, handle, please. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, thank you to everyone uh, who's called in, and please keep calling in with questions. Uh, the number for the Who Shot line is WSY 803-1664. All right, now, before we move on, we have a very special call from the one and only April Wolf. April, hi, how's it going? Hello, how are you guys? Oh, hi, April, April Wolf, my special best friend. She <laughs> likes me the best. I love her so much. I have an announcement. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Lay it on us, sister. Okay, uh, so some of you guys already know that I am uh, co-writing the remake of Black Christmas from Blumhouse. It's coming out December 13th. Mark it on your calendars. Um, but uh, I've continued doing some work in that area, and it's kind of pulling me away in many different directions um, working in the movies. So I will be stepping back from Who Shot Ya Pod and I'm very reassured that Drea Clark will continue to hold up the Midwestern woman presence on the podcast for everyone. Tits to the glass. <laughs> Tits to the glass. Tits to the glass. I, you know, maybe I maybe I'll start a business selling T-shirts that say "Tits to the glass." Oh, there we uh, go. You know, <laughs> and you're still going to be doing Switchblade Sisters, though. Yeah. I'm yes. I'm still going to be doing Switchblade Sisters every week, so everyone can keep tuning in there. And I have a final episode coming up with you guys. Did you know? Did you know? We heard. Um, Ooh la la! It's the one that's coming out August second. We're going to be talking about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And it's going to be our hundredth episode. It's magic. If it's, are you exhausted? You know? Yeah, we've built a strong <laughs> bond over these ninety-seven episodes, and you know, it really, I think, hurts me the most <laughs> to see you go. Uh, just gotta say. Is he crying, you guys? Yeah. He is. It's is embarrassing. He's keeping a brave face. <laughs> We're proud of him for being in touch with his emotions. Yeah, uh, and you know, I know him so well that I know that he's just you know falling apart, but keeping yeah. it together. Yes. And I just really appreciate you know you forging on. I'm psyched to talk about Tarantino <laughs> with you. I hope that I am too. And, uh, <laughs> hope we get to see some feet. <laughs> no. Oh, they're in the trailer. And, uh, oh God. <laughs> I uh, yeah, that's it for me, I guess. Well, uh, Godspeed, and uh, we'll see you in a few. Yeah, very shortly. We love you. Bye. <laughs> we love you. Bye. <laughs> Thank you so much, April. I feel like every day our bond gets stronger, but now it's time for staff picks. It can be any movie, in theaters, streaming, what have you. Alonzo, 
Why don't you start? Okay. Well, you know, I, I don't need to bring up Stranger Things Season 3 because it's not a movie, and you've probably all <laughs> already watched it anyway, but it's great. Uh, what I am going to mention is a film that is on uh, the Criterion channel, but only until July 31st, so uh, hop onto that now. It's a film called Moonrise. It's a noir film I had never heard of, but it's directed by Frank Borzage, who is a, a filmmaker who goes all the way back to the silence. In fact, um, one of the films that Janet Gaines won the first Best Actress Oscar for was a movie that he directed called Seventh Heaven. This is a 1948 movie. Uh, And what's fascinating about it, in addition to just sort of all the cool noir stuff and the conflicted hero and, and, you know, young Lloyd Bridges gets murdered early on by accident, um, you can so tell that this is made by a guy who started in the silence because there is such a strong visual sense of just the way that they'll do transitions or shadows or reflections, um, the story elements that will appear through purely visual means. Uh, I, I think, you know, you can kind of sense eras of directors and what they're used to. And, you know, there are the people who came out of television. There are the people who came out of theater. This guy very much still carried so much of the silent movie stuff with him into the talkies, into the late 40s. Um, and just on a completely unrelated note, there is a scene in which there are three different character actors who all played minor roles in It's a Wonderful Life. (laughs) It's like, oh, Hollywood. (laughs) So yeah, the movie is Moonrise. It is on uh, Criterion Channel through July 31st. Love it. I'm going to do straight up plug. I'm going to straight up just drop this. Uh, There was a movie made by one of the members of White Women, uh, which is the sketch group. I mean, if you you just think I'm just talking about white women in general because you don't know, I'm in an all-black sketch group improv group called white women it, very they're hard so to, funny uh, they're all they, i mean yeah. stacked we are in <laughs> impossible to google or search <laughs> uh, but just know uh we did uh lamar made a movie called it's a party which is uh the sim- best description for it is waiting for godot with rappers uh you know i have a small part in it see if you can uh, see my scene and see why i hate my scene uh because you know i just wish i knew i was doing something stupid uh <laughs> Uh, but yeah, check that out. It's on Showtime and uh, the Showtime app, and it's on iTunes. And you know, uh, yeah, enjoy. I guess that's cool. <laughs> yeah. no, thank you. Oh, you're in a movie. Yeah, I, I, I made it to the pitches. I'm in the moving pitches. Oh my goodness, well, we did it. Um, well, I'll go. So then we can end with our fabulous guest. Uh, my film is called Sword of Trust. Ooh. It comes out. July 12th in theaters, and then video on demand July 19th, so a pretty quick turnaround. Um, It's directed by Lynn Shelton, whom I love. She's probably directed a bunch of television that you like, like Glow. Um, But she's an incredible... Incredible director with a great sense of timing. She did a film called Hump Day that I think Sword of Trust is reminiscent of. My Sister's Sister? My Sister's Sister, Laggies. Oh, those are great movies, yeah. Um... I programmed her very first film a thousand years ago called We Go Way Back. Um, Anyway, it stars Mark Maron and Michaela Watkins and Jillian Bell and John Bass, Bass, however he wants to say it. But it's great. They're They're all incredible comedic actors and it's largely improvised, which doesn't typically bode well. But the scenario is that Mark 
owns this pawn shop and um, Jillian and Michaela are this married couple who come in and they have this sword and they say that the, you know, the Jillian's grandfather left it and that the sword is proof that the Confederacy actually won the Civil War. <laughs> and so all of them find out that, the, of course, there's this whole conspiracy theory of nuts who also believe that and they're going to spend all this money on this sword. So it's a comedy. It's really lighthearted. It does have some sort of socio-political, but really mostly it's just very funny. Sort of trust. Check it out. I think you'll enjoy it. Can't wait. Uh, And then mine is a documentary from a couple years ago. I'm sure you saw it, but it's called Faces Places. Have you seen it? Did you review it? My favorite movie of that year. I I mean, it was. I I think it was in my top five for sure, but uh, it's from 2017. It's a documentary uh, with director Agnes Varda, who who recently passed away a few months ago, and uh, photographer muralist J.R. They go... um, this guy and the guy's basically like Banksy in a way, but they go through the French countryside. Did you see this? No, no, no. And they put up these giant. They take pictures of the people in the villages and they put them up on these, you know, abandoned buildings or anything. But to watch these two, she's she's older and uh, he's very young. So to see them get along, you you're dealing with aging, but you also see um, the power of art. Uh, oh my God, what a, I feel so dumb going no, to the bottom. Yeah, yeah, J- Jr. actually just did an installation of like a giant Mexican baby on the border wall. Yeah, like, oh, I mean, yeah. this yeah. is the kind of thing he goes around and does. Yeah, I'm yeah. like getting worked up for it because you do see the power of art in how it affects regular people, people who aren't in touch with it. You know, we're in Los Angeles, so we don't think about this, and we feel dumb talking about. I feel dumb talking about the power of art and stuff sometimes, but. You see it so real and so tangible with these people. Uh, it's such an amazing documentary. It's on Netflix, and I try to recommend it to everybody because people just missed it. Yeah. And I saw it just with a friend on an afternoon, like, oh, let's go see this. And I was so moved by it. It's really great. Uh, check it out. Right, well. This is like when our guest recommended Paddington 2. It's like they're just... Yes, they were apologetic, and we're like, we love that movie <laughs> so much. Oh, yeah, Paddington 2 is awesome. Yeah. Now it's time for five-star reviews. If you leave us a five-star review, we'll read it on the air. And uh, this one's from Sassy Little Black Lady 76 and uh, they say... I always look forward to the new episode of Who Shot You, and I'm never disappointed. The conversations are fun and fresh. The opinions are all over the place, and I love it. They don't sound like robots. They aren't parroting back the same thoughts, and they're brutally honest. I'm convinced Drea Clark and I are best friend soulmates with telepathic capabilities. The woman says a lot of things I say when I talk about a film or show. Alonzo and April are such gems and joys. I want to be a fly on the wall of their studio. I love this show so much. Great job, fam. Sassy little black lady. I'm sending you a thought right now. You know what it is. (laughs) Oh, man, that's great. So keep those five-star reviews coming so you can hear it read on the air by this voice right here. If you're a fan of this voice. By that white woman voice. White. Did someone say white woman? (laughs) (laughs) So thank you so much, Steve, for coming on the show. Anything you want to plug? Uh, just find me at Big Hern on Twitter, Herney on Instagram, my movie podcast, Views from the Vista. We have a lot of fun over there. And then check out my weekly comedy show. It's one of the best in Los Angeles called Chatterbox. Best show in L.A. that's not in L.A. You can find us in Covina. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I want to throw out a quick plug. Uh, I am involved uh, to some extent or other with this series that's on CNN right now called The Movies. Ooh. It's airing every Sunday night. It's a six-part series. I had sat down for a bunch of interviews and so do a lot of critics that I know and I popped up in the first episode so maybe I'll pop up in some other ones I don't know so check that out the movies on CNN All right, anything Dre you want to plug 
Arena. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, if you have a comment or suggestion about this week's show, tweet at us at Who Shot Your Pod. Our Facebook group can be found at www.facebook.com slash group slash Who Shot Your Podcast or send us an email at Who Shot You at MaximumFun.org. I finally joined the Facebook group. Our strength grows with every second. <laughs> One more time, the Who Shot Your line number is WSY 8031664. Our producer is Casey O'Brien. Our senior producer is Laura Swisher. And this is a production of MaximumFun.org. Thank you for listening. Bye. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.